This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. So today I'd like to talk about tuning the piano. And um, I'd like to offer a few quotes that point in that direction. And also, I'm, I'm always with the question of why am, why am I here? Why am I doing this practice? This comes from Guy Armstrong's Emptiness, a quote from the Buddha. This is how you should train, Bahia. In what is seen, let there be just the seen. In what is heard, let there be just the heard. In what is sensed, let there be just the sensed. And what is cognized, let there be just the cognized. Then, Bahia, you will not be in that. When you are not in that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, then you are neither here nor there nor in between. This, just this, is the end of suffering. And this comes from Ben Connolly in his book, Inside Vasubandha's Yogacara. The Buddha called himself Tathagata, or that which is thus coming and going. He described himself as merely a flowing occurrence. And the outward form that took was constant, calm, compassionate availability to people who came to him for help. The next is this translation of the song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi that's in the record of Tongshan. The mind, not resting in words, accommodates what arises. And finally, this from Staying Staying with the Trouble by Donna Haraway. Trouble is an interesting word. It derives from a 13th century French verb meaning to stir up, to make cloudy, to disturb. We, all of us on Terra, live in disturbing times, mixed up times, troubling and turbid times. The task is to become capable with each other in all our bumptious kinds of response. Mixed up times are overflowing with both pain and joy, with vastly unjust patterns of pain and joy, with unnecessary killing of ongoingness but also with necessary resurgence. The task is to make kin, K-I-N, in lines of inventive connection as a practice of learning to live and die well with each other in a thick present. Our task is to make trouble, to stir up potent response to devastating events, as well as to settle troubled waters and rebuild quiet places. In urgent times, many of us are tempted to address trouble in terms of making an imagined future safe, of stopping something from happening that occurs and that looms in the future, of clearing away the present and the past in order to make futures for coming generations. Staying with the trouble does not require such a relationship to times called the future. In fact, staying with the trouble requires learning to be truly present not as a vanishing pivot between awful or Edenic pasts and apocalyptic or salvific futures, but as mortal critters entwined in myriad unfinished configurations of places, times, manners, and meanings. So the the sense of tuning the piano comes from a few different directions. Um, I think the heart of it is a conversation I had with a piano tuner and refurbisher a few years ago. Uh, he lives in southern Wisconsin. He may be retired now, but his shop was part of a every, every fall, at least before the pandemic, a group of artists up there um, do what's called a studio tour. And his shop was on that tour. Uh, part of it, the upstairs part of it, had been converted into a gallery to uh, exhibit am- works among uh, among others by Mike Newhall. So that's one thing that drew me there. And I got this guy into conversation and he, and he, to talk about his um, 
this craft. And he said, basically, he said, you know, each piano is different. And so when you go about tuning it, you have to consider the place, the acoustics, and what that place will be like with people in it. So he tuned pianos in, in southern uh, Wisconsin and northern Illinois, old, you know, old theaters that are still active, churches. So he had to know the spaces in the piano and, and take all these things into consideration. And I was just amazed at how, how well attuned his ears must be, his hearing. And then, you know, maybe, maybe another factor is that, is that, you know, I've, over the last so many years, I've been working, concentrating on the, the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, and coming back into the 12 links of dependent origination and Yogacara. And as I, as I reflect on these, um, you know, as I've been reflecting back and looking back at yet uh, another sense, these words kept coming to mind. Perspective, relational, and physical. And the sense, you know, as I've reflected, the sense of the tuning is, when I look at these teachings, it's, it's that the Dharma tunes us. The Dharma is doing the tuning. In a sense that with this tuning, you know, what happens with this? What's, you know, and it just resonates so well with the Madhusuda. The, uh, the sense of gentle curiosity, you know, the don't know mind, but with gentle curiosity. And an open heart, the sense of an open heart. And this phrase comes from a Vajrayana teacher. I can't remember his name now, but he had, you know, he's, he talked about the sense of life becoming well-oiled, life and emptiness becoming well-oiled, the sense of fluidity. So for me and my experience, that's, that's what comes through for me with this sense of tuning, that the words tuning and attuning So I like to do is just a little recap of mindfulness, the 12 links and yoga char, very brief. You know, if when, you, when I reflect on, on the Satipatthana Sutta, you know, it talks about the four foundations, the body feelings, uh, the, the mental and emotional states, basically. You know, something comes in through the body through our sense gates, and then what arises in response? You know, starting with feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. And when you look at that, you know, you reflect on that, and it's, it's like, you know, basically what we're seeing is our conditioned response to life, to experience. How have we been conditioned? To, uh, to respond to life. So we're coming into our conditioned response and, and a lot of our conditioned responses, you know, we're really very ignorant of. We're not aware of, which brings me into the 12 links. And starting with ignorance. And with the 12 links, for me, it's, um, there's a sense of motion because we're getting into call, you know, there's the perspective changes a little bit. We're getting into causes and conditions, being alive to the movement of causes and conditions. You know, starting with ignorance is a condition for volition. Ignorance, ignorance of our conditioned states and how deeply they run in us. Coloring our volitions, our intention, and going forward, coloring our consciousness, and on into the mind, you know, name and form, mind and body. 
and on into the coloring of stuff coming in through the sense gates and on through. So again, you become really aware of, you know, how often, you know, for me, when I, you know, working with the 12 links is becoming how aware of how often, how many times a day or in an hour, old patterns are reinforced or reconditioned. And then coming into the um, Yogacara, great consciousnesses. And again, if you look at all, all three of these, they cover the same territory, but with a slightly different perspective. So you have the sense gates and you have the, um, in yoga charb, there's more concentration on the, on the um, alaya vijnana, the storehouse consciousness, the seeds of becoming, our conditioned states, becoming aware uh, in our patterns if we're, you know, what seeds are we watering or being watered in each situation? being alive to that, wholesome or unwholesome, is this gonna cause harm or not? And for me with yoga chara, there, there's, I don't know, this is just me, but there's more of a sense of settling in, just settling in, being present, coming back to being present. And if you look at this, um, you know, Oh, if you look at these patterns, what do you see? What do you see? You see the flow of existence, the flow of our existence. This is just what's happening. You have this physical form, and this is how this physical form responds. It's how it's been conditioned. It's how it functions. It just functions this way. And if it functions in ignorance, it functions in pretty harmful ways. But, but when you look in there, you know, you're asked to look in and what do you see? Do you see a self? When you look at these teachings, does it talk about a self? Does it talk about I, you, me? It talks about these things, these, these flows of energy the way the human being functions, just this physical form. It's like looking at the engine under the, you know, the hood of a car, you know, looking at how everything works in, in tandem with everything. That's all, that's all that's happening. It's nothing different than the weather. Certain conditions are present and this is the kind of weather you're gonna have. Certain conditions are present and you have this weather. And certain conditions are present, and this is what comes out of us. Other conditions are present, and this is what's coming out of us. Is that really you? Or is that just our conditioning? Our conditioned states. So a real sense here, you know, this is how things operate. And in there, you know, they operate in such a way as that, that they're, you know, Stuff happens in life. There's old sickness, old age, and death. There's that kind of suffering. But then there's what we add to it. Our conditioned states. How we respond to others, to situations, and to ourselves. And we see, and we see the, you know, basically we're seeing the teaching of the two arrows. You know, there's the first arrow, the existential stuff. And the second arrow, what we add to it. And the Buddha said very often, you know, a second arrow was much more painful. And that's where we have, that's where we have a sense of agency in this practice, this awareness, this awakeness. And so over and over again, we're told, you know, the three marks of existence, um, impermanence, not self and suffering or discontent. Um, the, the mindfulness teacher, the insight teacher 
Rebecca Bradshaw offered up one time the three Ps, another way to think about this. Nothing is permanent, nothing is perfect, nothing is personal. And so our perspective in this practice is, you know, it, it, it's being changed. The practice, the Dharma is always challenging our perspectives. And as that happens, we notice what happens with us, this tuning as our perspectives change and open and widen. And we also see that it's all relational. It's in response to life. If you really want to, you know, start examining our, you know, conditioned patterns, you know, start right here. It's right here. It's all happening right here. Nowhere else. Right here. With your mate, your partner, your coworkers, right there. They'll, they'll, they, will, they will point out our conditioned states very, very readily, whether we want them to or not. And then coming into the sense, being really alive to causes and conditions. When this is when this is rising, this exists, that exists, that arising, this arising, that arises, this not existing, that no longer exists, this ceasing, that ceases. That sense of becoming tuning into that, our systems tuning into that. And then what happens? And I like to come into the physical. We don't talk about that too much. And in, in, in his introduction to Beyond Thinking, Norman Fisher, sa Norman Fisher says Zen is physical. It's a very physical practice. Well, um, I would say Buddhism is very physical. It's just not confined to Zen. And, um, and I, you know, but he doesn't go any further with that. And usually we don't. But, you know, he says, you know, mind and body are not separate. So we hear that, we're told that mind, body, not separate, but we don't explore it. Not in my experience. It's not explored. So I'd like to offer some more perspectives on body and body and practice. And I'll have, you know, some so-called non-dharma uh, perspectives in here, which has really helped me. You know, uh, one has been Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Another one, you know, there's some training I've done in, um, you know, the trauma and the autonomic nervous system. Uh, two trainings I've done have been um, the social resiliency model and the uh, the polyvagal theory in a therapy, really tuning us in to the vagus system, the network of nerves extending down from the brain's brainstem down into the body, and and being you know learning. Okay, there's three very simple things of being on the vagal ladder, so to speak. One is you know the sympathetic. That's when we're activated in the fight or flight response. And the other is dorsal, the shutdown, the heaviness, the sense of depression, the freeze. And then the top of the ladder, oh, the, by the way, when we, if we want to get too, um, if we get too caught up in this sense of self with this, um, when we explore causes and conditions, the dorsal is the oldest of these three, and it goes back 500 million years before us. Uh, uh, the sympathetic is about 400 million years old, way before us. The ventral is more recent, more human, a sense of interconnection, a sense of safety, open-heartedness, warmth. And so at any given point in time in my day, always checking in, where am I on the ladder? Sympathetic, dorsal, ventral, where am I? And really working, you know, learning to work with that. 
more recently, I came upon um, something called interoception, and that's the communication between this, you know, the, the vagus system in the brain and the rate, how they regulate each other, the regulation, you know, that back and forth communication between then, between the two. But more recently, that's been expanded to, uh, in a book I've been reading called um, Inflamed, about, you know, what this world does to us, what does to our beings physically and emotionally. And this communication actually involves, uh, you know, it, it involves the, you know, bacteria in our gut. And it, you know, the communication back and forth, it has a big impact if all that's off on our, on our emotional states. And so we begin to just appreciate, you know, coming back to the five hindrances, you know, attachment, aversion, restlessness, worry, sloth and torpor and doubt. We begin to, you know, this lines up very well with all this stuff. And so we, you know, if we start to tuning into this in our being. And simply throughout the day, learning to tune back into the body, what's going on simply with the body. Another insight teacher, his last name is Coffee. I can't remember his first name. He's in South Carolina. He offered this. It's just this very simple thing that I started working with. Um, you know, when, when we're sitting, you know, and when I was, you know, given Zazen instruction, and it's what I usually hear, um, even today, is that, um, you know, we're sitting, the mind starts to wander, come back to the breath, come back, come back to the breath. And he's, he offered us something else that when you notice you're sitting and you notice you're in some type of um, mental pattern, you're in thinking, I think there are about three different, three or four different patterns of thinking. Um, you know, there's the spin cycle and then there's the um, going down the rabbit hole and then there's the monkey mind and then there's just the thoughts passing through. So we had this suggestion, just notice what the thinking feels like, starting to treat the thinking as nothing other than a sensation. What's the energy of the thinking in the body? What does it feel like? And then you, um, then I discovered, okay, if I'm doing that, there's so just, and then there's the turning. It's very simple, just turning and noticing what happens in the turning and coming back. Well, first of all, notice what's happening just when the note with the noticing. Noticing what's happening with the noticing. When the thinking is noticed, notice just what's happening. Does it go poof, fall away, melt away with just the awareness? If not, you know, then you notice, okay, in the, in the turning, you're just very aware of what's going on in the body and the turning and coming back to the breath of the body. Then noticing what's happening. Does it become more intense or does it melt away? You notice that when you melt away, when it melts away, when it's not there, you remember that. That becomes part of the process. Remember sati, the sati patana, means mindfulness, it means awareness, but it also means to remember in the moment that it's happening, to remember that easing. You get a taste of the conditioned state falling away. Very simple. Very simple. It becomes, it becomes part of that score. Remember the body keeps the score. becomes part of that score now and we're becoming aware of it and in that memory that memory like oh it's not it's not like i'm, I'm memorizing something it's a different kind of memory the body goes ah oh. the being goes ah oh. and it remembers and it becomes like a north star to come back to like our our pole star and we remember you know, a refrain in the Pali Canon is to know, 
to see and to know, to clearly perceive. This is a knowing, this knowing becomes part of the tuning, very simple tuning move. And then I discovered, well, hmm, there's, you know, the concentration with this, with this, you know, coming back into the body and the concentration became something else. And I could, you know, okay, if I, if I watch where the thinking goes, just watch where the thinking goes, what's happening in the body. Okay, then I can decide, I, I can make a choice. Do I go there or not? I can see what happens, very clearly see what happens. You know, where the mind takes me, where the mind takes me. And a little aside here, you know, we're, 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 really, we're really enamored of our minds. We really take them seriously. We're, we're, so, we're so proud of our big brains. But when you think about it, what's got us into all this trouble? You know, um, Antonio Damasio, he's a, he's a physicist, uh, or not a physicist, a neuroscientist, a psychologist and philosopher. He's out by you all in California. And, um, and he talks about there's one part of the brain that, that doesn't allow feelings in. It just, it, it resists allowing, allowing feelings in. And another perspective comes from Reginald Ray, a Vajrayana teacher in the awakening body. You know, he talks about, you know, you know, the left brain and the right brain dynamics, just for sake of convenience, that's not really accurate, but we'll go, we'll just use that right now. Left brain is pretty much a recycler. It doesn't let anything in new, very, very little in new. It just recycles, it, it keeps us on task. It's, you know, our, our, our manager, it does our linguistics for us, our language, our, it's our logician, etc. But it lets very little in new. The right hemisphere, so to speak, is, you know, it's where our wounding is, it's where our emotions are, but it's, it's the sense of it is much more vast. In fact, Ray uses a language, it's like a mirror. Does that sound familiar? It's like a mirror, it just reflects. It's wiser, it has a bigger, it has a, a bigger picture, a sense of a bigger picture of life. And so my sense in this practice in the tuning, we're sort of, you know, what's happening is, is more of that is allowed in. So I'll come back to two terms, shamatha and, and vipassana. The one is shamatha is calming the body. Vipassana is insight. So as this body is being calmed, as it's calming, and you know, we're able to see more, directly see more, another perspective. When we're not all caught up here and in here, what do we actually see? Well, we're saying, well, this is just what's happening here. It can get kind of boring sometimes. And we go, well, it's not important. I better go study my dog and I better pull some books off the shelf here and, and get back to being a serious student. It's all right here. Our awareness right here, that's our teacher. As the Buddha said, you know, your experience, this, this knowing and seeing is your teacher. So um, I'll close, you know, Buddha with this from the Ajahn Buddha, Buddha Dasa. You know, he says, Buddhism is nothing more than life. It's that flow again, that flow of life. Buddhism is flow of life, Dharma. Dharma as in, you know, from the... Um, it'll come to me here as in moments of time, 
Each moment of time is a dhamma, a phenomena. Then there's the teaching. And dharma is just life. You know, in this tuning, this sense of tuning, you know, our hearing changes. You know, there's just, I can pick up, you know, I'm not at 100%, maybe, maybe 30%. But as the tuning changes, we hear differently, we see differently, we respond differently. We respond free of our agendas, our conditioned states. That's why, that's why Donna Haraway resonates with me so strongly. No fairy tales. We, we're, we're done with fairy tales. You know, I'm done with fairy tales in a way. It's, um, you know, what's here? What's here right now? How do we dance with life in that flow of life? You know, we're just the stream of energy that responds with compassion and kindness. Meeting the road as it arises, not resting in words. And for me, this coming back to the body, the physical dynamic is my teacher. It's pretty much on. We become very familiar with the patterns. I have to say, we have, some of us have to be kind of careful with that because some of us being with our bodies is a very hard thing to do. And, um, you know, a su suggestions, you know, is if you can find somebody who's really trained in working with the autonomic nervous system. But I also encourage, you know, us as Dharma practitioners, as Sangha members, to really become more aware with this, with each other, what's happening, our potential wounding of each other. And, you know, if you ever want to access the polyvagal training with Deb Dana, she takes one and all. You don't have to be a, a mental health professional. You know, I highly recommend that for Sanghas. You know, how do we tune into each other? Learning to tune in. With this sense of self, each, you know, each time coming back to that little move that, that Coffee told, told me about was, you know, it's, it's an unhooking from this selfing. Each time we come back, we come back, it's an unhooking from the selfing. We're unhooking from the, the mental patterns, the narratives. You can feel it. You can feel the sense of freedom and ease when we unhook from these things, when, the, when the, that, that hand of thought opens and releases. I was talking to a client recently about opening the hand of thought. And uh, this is a client that's really, he, he decided he wanted to take on the Dharma. And as we were talking, he just realized right then and there how much of his life is spent like this. Those, those fists clenched. Opening the hand of thought, the conditioned self falling away, gradually opening more and more into that. I call it the rewiring or the retuning, the tuning. So thank you all very much. I'm always honored to be with you. I, yeah, I do wish I could be there in person and I'm hoping to be there in Rahatsu. So thank you. If you have any questions and we have time, I'll be glad to take them. A question here, Chuck. Okay. Hi. Hi, that was a great talk. Um, I was just uh, trying to remember, what were those four types of thoughts you mentioned? You said spin cycle, um, the rabbit hole, and was it monkey thoughts? Monkey mind and, and just the thoughts that pass, you know, float through that really don't catch okay. in the Velcro. Um, is there a term for that? Like, can I go look into that more? Or no, this um, is pretty much Chuck terminology here. Um, okay. The um, I have heard, uh, you know, something that lines up pretty well with that. Um, 
from insight teachers, uh, but I can't, you know, I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. But you might, you might just do a search, you know, for patterns of thinking and Buddhist terminology, something like that, see what you find. Yeah, great, thank you. Those four patterns are the way my brain works. So that's where I go by. <laughs> One more, another question here. You mentioned the holy vagal training. Could you could you spell that or who was the other who was the person who does that training? Okay, poly polyvagal, P-O-L-Y-V-A-G-A-L. And the person's name is Deb Dana, D-A-N-A. And she's got some stuff out there, you know, some books, polyvagal theory and therapy. And then she's got some shorter works that go in sort of more of a step-by-step -step and more guided stuff that you can do if you look her up in her books. But I, I when the training, I was really, I was, I was pleased because as a mental health professional, sometimes I think, you know, we're, we're too, um, you know, it, it, we make it too hard. And I think that, um, you know, when, when there were people there, there was a program, you know, computer programmer there. There were some other people there that, you know, they just wanted to, you know, they just wanted to learn how to work with their own stuff. And, um, and then the training I did with uh, Lori Leach, <laughs> The social resiliency model. Again, you know she's you know she's switching away in her trainings, doing less and less with mental health professionals, and just doing you know just with regular people, including gangbangers in Detroit, and community members wherever there's been some um, some tragedy. So I think that you know I think this is something that you know you can access and do and bringing it into your practice if you so desire. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck, for this wonderful talk. I'm very interested in the tuning. I, um, my experience is that the tuning is relational itself, that it is you know, not just the ears and not just the eyes. And it's kind of an expansive way of listening. And um, so I just wanted to ask you more about the relational part, because for me, that um, tuning, which tunes me here and tunes me outwardly at the same time, all is relational. I mean, I can't find any other way to look at it. I, I've been looking. <laughs> I just can't find another way other than to say it's arising kind of through me and with me and everybody else and everything else. And that's the tuning itself. Precisely. Thank you. It sort of reminds me it's not a it's a not a one-time deal either. You know, um, there's someone in, in one of my Zen groups who's with us today, Daniel. He's a, he's a uh, guitar player and a composer. Sorry to share that, Daniel, without your permission. But um, <laughs> he, um, he, I'll let you say, I'll let you tell you, say what you said in response to the tuning and the tuning of guitar. I think it's, I think it's really apt. Oh gosh, um, I hope I get get it get this right. Um, the the tuning to me, um, and I do a lot of alternate tunings, is is the playing of the the instrument. Um, I don't know if that's the part um, that we were talking about, Chuck, um, that I got right. Maybe, maybe that wasn't the part, but that, but that was the part that I remembered. The part that sticks with me is, is that, the, that you just don't tune the guitar once and for all and it stays in tune. It's an ongoing process. And that it, uh, sometimes it seems like you can never get it just there. 
It's just, you know, no matter how hard you try, that it just seems you just can't get it there. And, and that's been my experience in life. It's ongoing. The tuning is ongoing. And sometimes, it, you know, nothing is perfect. Uh, so uh, this question is regarding um, a guidance on how to tune uh, regarding within the within the sitting. It's it seems like uh, I'm in a place where I I don't know what is the next step or what is the next tuning. And so it's like this. So when I am sitting my mind is is completely silent there is, there are no thoughts whatsoever but um but there are sounds and feelings uh and it feels like these sounds uh are are different from me and they're there and they're different from me uh and i'm also here but it, there's a feeling there's a feeling of this difference now the, the dharma tells me that uh, that is also me. The sounds are also me, but they seem different, and there is like a space between them. So um, and and there is like a space between the sounds, and there is a sense of me. So what is what is what is what is the next step to kind of tune that thing? It it seems. It, it, it feels like an unresolved thing um, that I'm sitting with these days. So as we were we were sitting today, there was the bird song coming in from Jokoji there, um, which always brings me right back to Jokoji. There, it's a very visceral thing for me in my body. It's it's how the it's, it's, it's how it registers in the body. Um, so I would suggest seeing what you can do, not only on the cushion. Um, this practice is not only a cushion thing. It's, you know, going about your day, notice, starting to notice what's going on in your body. Really, feel it tense, feeling the tensing, the easing. When there's, when there's anxiety and restlessness, where do you experience that in the body? When the body is at ease, how does that feel? When the, when the being experiences something pleasurable, where do you feel that in the body? Beginning to really pay more attention, to always come back to the body and saying, oh, this is, you know, to remember to remember, that's another remembering in this practice, is to remember to come back throughout your day Start really seeing if you can become more aware of, of how experience is experienced in the body, where you feel it. Um, notice your thinking. When you're, when you're trying to solve something, when you're really trying to figure something out, notice what's going on physically. What's going on, you know, just up here in this area of the body, as you're, you know, as, as you're, are your eyebrows you know, kind of scrunched together? Is there a furrow in the forehead? Does, it, does your head feel like it's clenched? Beginning to notice these things. And, um, and that distance, that space begins to melt away. You know, you're, it's, it's coming back to what Pamela was saying, the, the rising and falling away, it's directly experienced. It's, it's, it's like a call and response type of dynamic. That's, that's the no space. This, this sense of, you know, dependent origination, dependent co-arising. Notice what's happening in response to, in the being. And see where that, you know, where that takes you. Um, just see if you can start incorporating that in your day-to-day -day practice especially off the cushion. So um, I'm interested in trauma-informed practice and um, 
I'm, I'm curious about like what is healing and what is the role of healing in tuning and you know, around the body as, as your teacher. I was wondering if you can help me explore that a little bit more. Could you, could you state that in a different way? I'm not sure I'm, it's coming through for me. Um, so, so healing from trauma um, and tuning oneself and really um, like the healing energies that come into that process. Um, I feel is 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 really deep attunement work, um, you know. And I know a lot of trauma lives in the body, um, and so I'm, I'm 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 curious about what healing is, you know, in in this context of um, you know, tuning oneself and allowing the body to be the teacher. Okay. Um, I'm going to come at this a little bit jagged. Um, one thing that we become aware of, you know, in this, in, in this, and I, I become aware in practice is our degree of enmeshment with experience. So that's really when we're caught up in this thing that it's me. So, you know, I, this comes, you know, it comes to me, you know, this degree of enmeshment and we're caught up in this experience is me. And the more I've worked with this, the body awareness, the more this has begun to open up. Okay, so this is happening, but nothing, this isn't, this isn't off, doesn't fall off the horse. Okay, that's, that's where the sense of the well-oiled experiencing comes in. So these things happen and, 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 and we're not shaken, so shaken by them anymore. And in, it, in, our, in our, so our relationship with ourself, we become less enmeshed with ourself. And saying, you know, that and it, we, when we're in, so this is for me in working with my own trauma is this, you know, something is kicked up and this is happening. And sometimes I'll be like this, I'll be enmeshed with it. But then, you know, I'm this, this memory thing as I'm remembering this stuff here is a conditioned something. That's it. It's a conditioned something. What's going on in the being is a conditioned something. And if we can be with it, we, we, we come back to those you know, those three, three marks of existence. One is nothing is permanent. So if we can be with it, we notice, and if, you know, if we're not enmeshed with it, we can actually, it, it'll, it'll, we can be with the arising and falling away and observe it, get to know it. And as that happens, you know, that, that, that not, you know, just, it's it's that it's that loosening of from my history. I said, oh, okay, you know. And there could be at times it could be like a tsunami coming through. You know, the shame, the blame, and the guilt, all of that stuff coming through. And there is this reminder. This comes back through the mindfulness and the conditioning. There is a reminder that these are just conditioned states. And it, they won't feel good. They don't feel good because all this old stuff has been activated. It's been stirred up. But just this reminder to myself, this is, you know, a condition something. I may be alive, you know, I talk about the two arrows, but I think there are more than just two. You know, I talk in terms of the reaction to the reaction and the reaction to the reaction. We'll be in that, we'll be in that echoing or that reverberation in terms of why did I do this? Why is this happening to me? That type too, we'll be awake to that. We'll be more awake to these, these echoes going throughout in our experience and being able to go, okay, and just watch them. And we can come back, I come back always to, what does all this feel like right now? 
this physical, this physical stuff that's going on in me and riding with it. And it arises and eventually it moves on. Now it may not happen in one sitting period, may not happen in two, may not happen in a day, may not happen in a week. Sometimes this process is, for me, has been weeks long, but it's a continual being aware with it and riding with it. Noticing always, always coming back when things are really intense, coming back to my body actually. And there's, when I come back, there's always these momentary easing and they, and they continue to grow and mount for me. And that just, it just, you know, the process you're talking about, the deepening, it is deep work in terms of coming back in, coming back in. Um, always sort of settling into, falling into this experience. Because I can't think my way out of it. When I try to think my way out of it, I just get, time, I just get bound up in knots. So it's always coming back to this direct physical experience. And, um, and it's helped me much more, actually, than, you know, this process of working with my own trauma has helped me much more than years of sitting in an analyst's office. Um, I, I have something to add. Yeah, so I think I'm thinking about yesterday what happened with um, discovering Guido and the storage here at Jacoby. And um, I just want to talk about an example of my own fear, my own trauma regarding um, the Black Widow spider and how I was able to come to a different, different understanding um, of, of what it is to be in relationship to a poisonous spider. As I was bitten by a black widow spider about eight years ago, and well, previous to that experience, I didn't really have that much fear of black widows. But post being bitten and um, getting the neurotoxin, which created a great discomfort in my body for for many days and lingered even for months, my physiological response to the black widow spider was just one of just extreme fear and to the point where when I saw it in the shed and she had a sack of eggs I came to Hogan to talk to him about it um, and I was feeling dizzy and uh, had other had other physiological things going on because it was is nothing under my control at all. But know, knowing what was going on with me physically and knowing that here I am in this place of practicing uh, compassion for all beings, that I knew this was an opportunity to begin uh, unpacking that trauma and releasing it. And I felt like it was an opportunity if I could get somebody like Hogan, who's not afraid <laughs> at all, to to help me to help me with this. So he 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 got he got the spider with her egg sac, and um, I was there the whole time. And I got he showed he he showed the spider to me in the bucket. I got close to her, and he he handed me the egg sac so I could hold it, and he proceeded to let her go somewhere in a spot where. Um, it would be safe for everybody. So I think just by today's talk, that kind of, and what happened yesterday, that really shows like what the process is for me. And I don't know if that's helpful for others to hear what my experience was like today. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I think it's important to remember that um, our conditioned states generally are pretty deeply wired into us. And um, I'm not sure, you know, in my experience, I'm not sure if they ever, if it ever fully goes away. You know, coming back to that sense of piano, you know, when the little rubber hammer hits the right strings, 
there's going to be activation. A certain tune is going to come out. And um, when I come back to my relationship with myself, um, loving kindness and compassion for myself in this experience. Um, that um, first and foremost, loving and loving kindness and compassion for yourself. That oh, and the suffering right now, that's here, and the and the degree of awareness that you had then in that experience. That's the most important part here. That and and the way it was responded to. A lot of things happened there, and old narratives weren't uh, perpetuated. But you do have to understand that it's it's in the body now, and it'll be activated. Um, and but our relationship to it changes. Um, I've got a I've got a a question, Chuck. Could I reflect back a couple of things and, and then have a question? Sure. Um, I really appreciated that you started off by pointing out how most of us remain pretty ignorant of our conditioned states um, and that through deeper through intimate relationship often there's someone who whether you want them to or not can see them and help point them out to us which can be a little uncomfortable but very helpful but in the absence of that just knowing accepting that I'm ignorant of many conditioned states that affect how I meet the world I felt that that's actually a very helpful thing. It can give me humility, can give me this sense of I, I can't know what's really going on. You know, so I shouldn't be so have such strong conviction that I'm right. Right. This, uh, so that was helpful to me just to see that bit of humility. And then on the other side, along with that, I felt a, a gentle curiosity about, you know, what, what are my conditioned states, you know? And, and that led me to um, something I heard you say, which was, I heard you give us an invitation to set aside time in which when we notice thoughts, our thoughts, to not necessarily evaluate them um, for their sort of logical or intellectual truth value. So when the thought arises, don't, set aside some time to not look at its truth value, but look at the feelings that are concurrent with that thought. It seems to me that there might be clues in those feelings about whether or not this thought is heavily influenced by my own conditioning or whether this thought is something coming from a place of wholeness. And I'm wondering in your experience, when you take time to notice the feelings concurrent with a particular thought, whether it's a spin cycle situation or a rabbit hole situation. For you personally, what are some feeling clues that, aha, maybe this is being largely influenced by conditioning I can't really, that I'm not really in tune with yet? Um, one is very simply just noticing, always noticing, always be awake and aware. You know, um, I notice uh, I notice that um, when I take the time to be with that, um, I notice it's sort of like there, there's there's what are the combination this line of thought and this this pattern of emotions that are here right now and what's going on in the body. That's what I begin to notice. Sometimes I notice that there's more activation in the body than in the mind. Sometimes I notice there's more activation in the mind than in the body. And I'm just, I'm just mm -hmm. with that. Um, so I think just this, you know, I don't think we have to be any more in, you know, have to say anything more about it than just the awareness, just, you know, this gentle curiosity and watching. And notice, notice, you know, when, um, you know, when there's this emotional pattern, but just notice what's going on in the body and, and, and notice that when the thinking, you know, falls away, what happens? Or how tightly, you know, and how tightly you're wound up with something. 
uh, and just be with it in the body because you'll feel the release. And um, and then there's there's a sort of you know with the release there's a sense of clarity, and that sense of um, you know unhooking from the left brain if you will, and um, and just being open and present uh, in a different way than we would have anticipated. Just open and present, more and more moments of that. You know, sometimes, you know, there, in, in this process, you know, we don't have to analyze too much, but in the process, what you might experience is there may be like, a, I liken it to like a lightning bolt. You know, there, when there's a flash of lightning, you sort of see up into the clouds and you see a good ways into the cloud, what's going on there. And it's kind of like mm -hmm. that sometimes, you know, even in a moment, you know, just these odd moments of clarity or something, all of a sudden there will be, It'll be like this flash, and it'll take you back to the source. You know, the memory of what's going on in your body, it'll take you right back to the source. Sometimes that'll happen. But I wouldn't try for that too much because that takes you out of being here now. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that happens and helps us, you know, another perspective. Where did this come from? And um, really, you know, coming back to that perspective that this is not inherently me. This is just a conditioned pattern. Even my wonderful thinking, I'm very attuned to, you know, our various disciplines in this, in this space right now, various disciplines and how it shapes our thinking and seeing it's all conditioned, that's all. We're in these environments, this is for a reason. You know, I don't doubt, I don't doubt play it. But it's it's all for a reason. But it's it's a condition, a way of seeing. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.